This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. All right. Good morning. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and none of you knew you were coming to this kind of pregame show. Here we go. Mark of the Beast. Let's dive in. All right. I'm John. I'm one of your pastors. Uh, Great to see you guys. We're obviously continuing our series in Revelation. And before we dive into Revelation 13 this morning, I want to remind you again of some things that you've heard us say throughout the series. Some of you are just joining us and you haven't heard us say anything. Uh, Others, we just forget this stuff. And it's really, really important, especially for where we're going today that we have these reminders. And so a few things, remember the genre of literature. Revelation is an apocalyptic prophecy in the form of a letter. Apocalyptic literature is filled with symbolism and we need to let symbols be symbols. Also, Revelation was not written to us, but it is absolutely for us. What that means is that we're reading someone else's mail when we read this letter. And so that means that it cannot mean something for us that it did not mean for them. Also, the primary purpose that we've said over and over of Revelation is not primarily about predicting the future, but it's about making God's people faithful by inspiring our allegiance to Jesus as we live in the midst of idolatry in the empire. So it's really important with where we're going. This is the typical antichrist passage, mark of the beast, that we remember these things. And so before we jump into Revelation 13, would you pray with me? Jesus, we're here as your people this morning. Lord, because we want to worship you as king, but also we want to hear from your word and we know that you have spoken And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this morning by the power of your spirit, that you would move in our midst and that we would encounter you. Lord, that you'd provide clarity for a really confusing passage for us. Lord, that you'd comfort those who are concerned as they hear this. Lord, that you'd convict those of us that are complacent, who are compromising. And Lord, that you would draw us all near to you. Amen. All right, well, when I was growing up in my neighborhood, I was outside my neighborhood a lot. I walked to school. I rode bikes with my friends in the neighborhood. I skateboarded all over my neighborhood. And there was this house in my neighborhood. It was around the corner from where I lived. And on the back fence of this house, there was a big sign that said, beware of dog. And this sign instilled fear in me, freaked me out. Because it wasn't just that I saw the sign, but then it was accompanied by this really loud, ferocious sounding bark. And then at times the dog would jump up on the fence and the fence would shake. And I was horrified, scared to death, probably because growing up, my favorite movie was The Sandlot, right? (laughs) Benny and Smalls. And I had never seen this dog in my neighborhood, but any time I went by this house, all I could imagine was the beast, right? They called the dog the beast in The Sandlot. And so I was afraid of this, going by this house, I was afraid of this dog. And I remember that uh, one of the things that was, was so interesting was the sign, like the sign was huge. And something that beware of the dog signs do, they serve a purpose, right? They're supposed to scare you, they're supposed to intimidate you, and the sign worked, right? It also helped that I loved the sandlot, but the sign worked. The sign served a purpose 
to scare me. And that's what beware of dog signs do for all of us. And see, when it comes to Revelation 13, I think for most of us, we have a beware of dog approach to Revelation 13. That we're scared of it. And so if we're scared of it, we just avoid it altogether, right? And instills fear in us. We don't know what to think, but we're intimidated. And so we just avoid Revelation 13 altogether because we're freaked out. Because beware of the dog when we come to Revelation. It's beware of the beast. Beware of the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and all of these things. And so we just avoid it. Just like I avoided this house in my neighborhood. But what if this wasn't John's intended purpose for writing this to the church. Instead of beware of the beast, John wants us to be aware of the beast so that we can resist the beast and live faithfully today. And so as we jump in, we're gonna answer two questions this morning. How should we understand these beasts? And the second question that we're going to answer is, what are these beastly images trying to do? And so pick up your Bibles. You're going to want a Bible. We're going to be all over Revelation 13. It'll be on the screen as well, but be helpful to follow along, starting in verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, and with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear, its mouth like a lion. And to, the, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his, and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but the mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty, blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth, uttering blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, and nation, and all who dwell on the earth worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb the, uh, who, were, who was slain, if anyone has ear, let him hear. How should we understand these beasts? Well, it's important that we understand that Revelation 12 and 13 go together. Warren preached last week on Revelation 12 and we saw this dragon, it was Satan. Well, now we come to Revelation 13 and we see these two beasts. What is happening, Revelation 12 and 13 form a demonic trinity, okay? You have Satan. You have the beast of the sea, which we just read about. And then we're also going to see another beast, the beast of the earth, which is known as the false prophet. So there's this formation of the demonic trinity going on. This beast of the sea that we just read about here, this is typically where the concept of the antichrist, the figure comes from. It's the beast of the sea, that this antichrist, this one antichrist figure is usually referred to as this beast. But here's the interesting thing. Antichrist, the term, doesn't appear at all in the book of Revelation. It might be news to some of you, but it's just an interesting thing. It doesn't mean the concept still isn't here, but the word antichrist and that term doesn't appear in Revelation. The apostle John uses the term antichrist, plural, in the letter of 1 John that we preached through over the summer. And when John talks about antichrist, he's referring to false teachers 
within the church. So it's just something to note. But typically, there's this view that, hey, there's one antichrist figure that's coming, and throughout history, there has not been any shortage of nominations for who this is. <laughs> not at all. Muhammad, Napoleon, Mussolini, Saddam Hussein, Hitler, Stalin, John Lennon, JFK, who was, had a mortal wound to the head, JFK, Pope John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, Harry Potter, <laughs> Barack Obama, Lady Gaga, and more. Many are now saying Taylor Swift. <laughs> and here's what oftentimes happens with this passage. People start making nominations for the award of Antichrist to the most hated. Modern day, what usually happens is it's, evil, it's either someone really evil or in our context, it's usually whatever political candidate you didn't vote for. I don't know anybody who says, you know what, I'm voting for the person I think is the Antichrist. <laughs> Never met someone who's doing that. But we usually nominate whoever's most hated for this award. But that's not exactly what's happening here, nor is that John's intention for writing this. See, but what is happening here is this beast of the sea is a kind of incarnation of satanic power to deceive, demand worship, and persecute. And John was trying to draw the early church's attention, the original readers of this letter, draw their attention to something that they would have understood. Verse one and two, he starts describing this beast. Seven heads, 10 diadems, 10, uh, ten diadems, 10 horns, all of that. Well, if you remember when Warren preached chapter 12, this description of this beast of the sea has a striking resemblance to Satan and the dragon in Revelation chapter 12. The dragon had seven heads, 10 horns, but the dragon actually only had seven diadems, but the beast of the sea has 10, which is implying that the dragon now wants to actually gain more power now that he's been cast out of heaven to earth. And he's given all power and authority to this beast of the sea. And so now what we see is that this beast is more power hungry than its master Satan. The beast has seven heads, as we continue to preach in Revelation, this is symbolic. Gotta let symbols be symbols, but this is symbolic. In Revelation 17, what we're gonna find out is that these seven heads of this beast actually represent the seven hills of Rome and the seven emperors of the Roman Empire. He continues and he says, all of a sudden there's these crazy creatures, right? A leopard, a bear, a lion, and then the 10 horns. There's these creatures. Well. The early readers who received this letter, they would have immediately have gone to Daniel chapter seven, verses one through eight. So if you ever read the book of Daniel, the first, the first six chapters are awesome. You're reading through, you're like, oh, Daniel on the lion's den. And then you hit chapter seven and you're like, whoa, what happened? And it's really hard to understand. It's because when you come to Daniel seven, the genre of literature changes and you enter into apocalyptic literature, just like Revelation, that is filled with symbols. And so what John is doing is he's pulling the exact representation of these beastly creatures from Daniel 7 into the beast of the sea. And so he's saying, 
There's gonna be a lion, bear, leopard, creature with 10 horns. And what these represented for Daniel was that these were four empires, successive empires. It was the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, and the Greeks. And what was believed was that this series of empires would actually arise before the kingdom of God would come. And so what John is doing is saying, hey, in Revelation, he is combining all four of these empires into one beast. All four of these threats he's combining into one great beast, indicating that all of the threats of these four successive empires that were beastly and evil are now a part of this one great threat. I saw recently there's this video going around on social media, TikTok and Instagram videos, all of that, of the McDonald's burrito. Anybody seen this? It's insane. I'll tell you about it. (laughs) So you put in a burrito, McDonald's chicken nuggets, McDonald's cheeseburgers, McDonald's french fries, and an ungodly amount of American cheese, and you wrap it up in a burrito. It literally would probably kill you from the sodium in it alone, right? Stop your heart. And so there's this McDonald's burrito. You take four really, really deadly things that are really bad for you. And you combine them into one burrito and that thing will kill you. All four of them are threats on their own, but then you combine them into one and you have a serious threat to your health. That is what John is saying about the beast of the sea. I don't eat McDonald's just for the record. What John is doing is he's describing the beast using the traits of Rome and the emperors of Rome as John is gonna continue to make explicit and we're gonna see it as the weeks go on, especially in Revelation 17. But here's the thing, John wants the original readers to know who the beast is. He's not trying to leave them hanging. He wants them to know. Once again, we're reading someone else's mail and this is not some unable to figure out riddle. And so John continues, verse seven, as he describes the beast, he says, this beast is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them hostility towards Christians. Immediately, they would have thought Nero, Emperor Nero. The embodiment of hostility to Christians was in Nero. This is a portrait of Nero, this beast of the sea. And here, as the explanation continues, the early Christians would have said, absolutely, Nero was ruthlessly waging war on the church. It was under Nero's reign and rule where there was widespread persecution of Christians that he was hunting Christians down, crucifying them, burning them alive, feeding them to wild beasts in the arenas. Nero was bloodthirsty for the church. And then we're also told here that this beast was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Interesting that it's the counterpart to Jesus and the lamb, the kingdom of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Once again, this is referring to Nero, He was ruling the world from Rome. Rome had all of the world power. And even more so to build the case for Nero as the early church read this, verses three and four, we're told that one of the beast's heads received a mortal wound, but was healed. Then the whole earth marveled and followed the beast saying, who is like the beast? You have this resurrection type of imagery. It's interesting, the beast 
gets delivered a death blow to one of its heads, but recovers. So the beast is slain, but yet is still alive. Well, the early church, this is really weird for us, but the early church would have immediately known that this was Nero because Nero actually killed himself. He took his own life, but there were rumors all around the empire that Nero actually didn't die, that he was still alive and that he was in hiding and one day he would come back and return. This was a pop cultural fascination in the empire. So much so that within the next 20 years after Nero killed himself, there would be several different Nero impersonators that would show up in the Roman empire claiming to be Nero. People were fascinated with his dying, but still alive, these rumors. See, this is similar for us. You think about the celebrities that have died where there's rumors that they're still alive. Elvis, Tupac, Michael Jackson. This this happens all the time for us, but even more so with the emperor. And because of this, we're told that people worshiped the beast. We're told that they said, who is like the beast, which rips off what God's people say about him in Exodus chapter 15. In the song of Moses, after God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt, they sing to God and say, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? And now people, because of Nero, say, who is like Nero? He's invincible. The Roman empire is invincible. And so where Jesus's resurrection results in the worship of the lamb and God, we see that this supposed resurrection results in the worship of Satan and the beast. And so how did the early church understand this when they read it? They understood that the first beast, the, the first beast who's the beast of the sea was the Roman empire embodied in the emperor Nero. That's how they would have understood this. All of the symbolism, everything going on, they would have clearly understood the Roman empire embodied in the emperor Nero. But there's also another beast. Verse 11, the second beast. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even makes fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it also, was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image to be slain. It also causes all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast, the number of its name. What is going on here, right? How do we understand the beast? The second beast is the beast of the earth. And the function of this beast is to promote the worship of the first beast, okay? It's promoting worship of the beast of the sea. And we're told here in verse 11, right out the gate, that this beast looks like a lamb, has the appearance of a lamb with two horns, but yet it's actually just a mask for its satanic speech, that this beast imitates Christ with two horns like a lamb, but then the speech is actually that of a dragon, which once again is Satan. 
And so we're told that this beast uses deception. Verse 12, we see that the beast of the earth shows its true character by leading people to worship Satan and not God. See, what this beast does is it requires everyone to receive the mark of the beast to participate in the economy, which is why in verse 17, it says people couldn't buy or sell unless they had this mark. And then we're also told that the beast of the earth functions as a false prophet. If you remember in Revelation chapters eight through 11 that Jake preached on, there were these two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, these prophets that could do these signs. And now we're told that this is a false prophet who is the counterpart to Moses and Elijah who can actually do similar signs, which is why there's the reference to fire coming down to earth. See what this false prophet is trying to do is make is to overcome the impression that idols are just simply lifeless objects. And if it can overcome that impression, it will then make people want to worship the beast. And so this second beast, the beast of the earth, has one job. It's to promote the false worship of the first beast. This beast is often referred to as the propaganda machine for the first beast. The propaganda, meaning that this in Rome, it was the institutions in Rome. This was groups in Rome that promoted emperor worship. So who was this exactly? Well, it would have been temple priests. It would have been politicians. It would have been the wealthy upper class that actually funded the building of these temples to worship Caesar, to worship the emperor. And so this beast rears its demonic head where governments, political powers or individuals oppose the lordship of Jesus over all things and instead demand allegiance that only God deserves. So how would the early church that received this have understood this? Because John wrote it for them to understand. They would have understood that this second beast was those who promote the worship of the emperor and the Roman empire. So local government, religious officials, temple priests, those that were promoting the worship of the Emperor Nero or the Roman Empire. There's a Revelation scholar named Michael Gorman that all of us have, have read his work on Revelation. He's been really helpful. He, he says this about this second beast. Should be on the slide. He says, the function of this beast's propaganda is to make evil look good, to make the demonic look divine, to make violence look like peacemaking and to make oppression look like liberation. So if this is the Roman empire, how did Rome do this? How did Rome make evil look good? Well, we've talked about it a lot. There's this thing called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And this was supposedly this eternal peace that was ushered into the empire through Caesar and through the emperor. That now there's this reign of peace in the empire and it looked really, really good, but it came at a cost. Rome celebrated violence. They celebrated war and brutality. In order to accomplish this Pax Romana, they did horrific things that were evil in order to create something that appeared to be good. And then within the empire, within their own citizens, there was submission and there seemed to be these law abiding citizens that there's peace within the Roman empire, but the way that they accomplished it was 
forcing people to submit because of the fear of the brutality that if you rebelled, you would be crucified. It's not just that, Rome built this beautiful, massive empire, a world power. They were ruling the world and man, it looked good, but it was built off of slave labor and oppressive systems that dehumanized image bearers made in the image of God. And so if this is how the early church would have understood this, how are we to understand these beasts? How do we understand these beasts? Well, for us, these two beasts represent the powers of evil and their threats that confront God's people throughout all generations, not just Rome. I'll say that again. The two beasts here in Revelation represent the powers of evil and their threats, political, social, and economic threats that confront God's people throughout all generations, not just Rome. And what happens is we get this portrait in Revelation 13 that is drawing together oppressive powers from various times and places, and it's creating for us a comprehensive picture of evil. And we need to understand that the beast is not just Rome, but the beast is in our world today. The beast is not just Rome, but the beast is in our world today. And so we need to be aware of the beast. Be aware of the beast today that makes evil look good. What might this look like? Well, be aware when it comes to work. Because God says, do everything unto the Lord. But the beast says, do everything for your own name and your own success. Which way will you choose? Be aware when it comes to family. Because God says that family is an institution given by God to form children. But the beast says, Family is a hindrance to pursuing your potential and achieving your dreams. Which way will you choose? When it comes to the government, God says that he alone is the ultimate authority and ruler who puts all rulers into place to promote good, but never, ever, ever give your allegiance to rulers. But the beast says, leaders are the ultimate authority to whom you need to give your allegiance to. Which way will you choose? When it comes to sex, God says that sex is beautiful and it's an intimate way for husbands and wives to selflessly serve one another in the context of marriage. But the beast says, sex is for your own selfish pleasure and people are objects to be used to meet your own wants and needs. Which way will you choose? Be aware when it comes to recreation, because God says that recreation is created for your rest so you can delight in his good gifts and your attention would be drawn to him and his generosity towards you. But the beast says, just endlessly consume as much as you want. The fleeting pleasures, consume as many as possible so it draws your attention away from anything that actually matters. Be aware. When it comes to truth, God says truth is defined by him and it is for your good and for the good of the world. But the beast says, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Maybe truth comes from inside of you 
and you get to define what is true. Which way will you choose? Be aware of the beast, because it is this beast who also says that you can't function without the mark of the beast in verse 17. Verse 17, what we see here in 16 and 17, there's this mark of the beast for everyone. And it would be forced upon people, their right hand or on their forehead, people would take this willingly so that no one could buy or sell unless they have the mark. It's the number of the beast, the person's name. Now, if there's anything in Revelation 13 that starts to make people be aware, right? It's the beware of dog sign. You start freaking out, it's this, 666, the mark of the beast. And there is not a shortage of speculation around what this is. We all know it, right? It was tattoos back in the day. And if so, I'm in trouble, right? (laughs) And then it was, no, it's a certain tattoo mark and it's on your right hand. If so, I'm good because I'm covered already. (laughs) But then it went from tattoos to when social security numbers were issued. Social security numbers, don't give me one of those. Then it was credit cards. You had a credit card number and it's like, oh no, that's the mark of the beast. I don't want to use a credit card. And more recently, it's vaccinations. COVID, we saw this widespread. It's like, don't give me the vaccination because it's the mark of the beast. And then it's Apple. All the Android users are like, yeah, it's Apple. (laughs) It's Apple and Apple's control and all of the Apple technology and advancements and how they control it. It's Apple. Or then it's cryptocurrency, right? There's this new form of currency that it's gonna be a global currency. I can't invest in cryptocurrency because it's the mark of the beast. Hear me. None of those have yet to play out. I'll just say that. They've left us wanting and speculating for more because they've actually been far more from speculation than from the book of Revelation. And here's what you need to know. When it comes to the mark of the beast, do not assume that the mark of the beast will be visible to the eye any more than seeing two horns coming out of the false prophet's head. Don't assume that it will be visible to the eye any more than two horns coming out of the false prophet's head, but the mark is evident in the commitments of the person who bears it. The mark is evident in the commitments of the person who bears it. What are you loyal to? There's only two marks in the book of Revelation. Someone said my time's up. Is it get off the stage, dude? <laughs> it's probably Jim. Jim's like, you're, you're done. <laughs> uh, there's only two marks in the book of Revelation. You're either sealed by God, according to Revelation 7, or you've been marked by the beast. There's no other option. We're told in verse 18 that this number, there's a call for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. What in the heck does this mean? We're told it's a person whose number is 666. The number alone is a parody of 777, which is the number of perfection in the book of Revelation. But there's far more in this than just that. 666 indicates an imperial figure who in a very ungodly way pretends to be God. 
but God's people are told to, not to speculate, they're told to calculate. It says, calculate the number of this person. See, and this is important for us to know. This, this might be the most important thing for us to know. The reason why John says calculate is because there's an ancient method used for adding up the numerical value of letters in a word. Meaning the alphabet and the letters in an alphabet had number values ascribed to them, meaning that letters represented a a numerical value, okay? And 666, we're told, is the number of a person. Well, in Hebrew, the name Nero Caesar equals 666. When you use this ancient method, which John is referring to, to calculate the number of whose name this would be, Nero Caesar in Hebrew is 666. And so some of you are like, man, John, that sounds like some hokey numerology stuff you're pulling out on us. I get it. It's a valid question, but that's not at all what's going on. What we have to know is that this practice was very common in the ancient world. It's documented throughout history, and it wasn't just a historical thing, right, where it's like, oh, yeah, it's in the textbooks. No, this was a pop culture thing. Like in society, what was oftentimes would happen is street artists that would do graffiti in these ancient cities, they would use graffiti and write numbers for people's names. One, one instance of this is in Smyrna, which this was lit, written to, the church in Smyrna. In Smyrna, there's an ancient graffiti artist doing street art in Smyrna, and he used the number for the girl who he loved in his street art. This is exactly what he wrote. He said, I love her whose number is 1308. And we're like, man, that's weird. But we gotta try to transport ourselves back to their time, which is really hard for us to do because we have no idea what this is and it feels like numerology. But let's, let's flip it. Let's take homeboy from Smyrna and let's transport him into our sanctuary in 21st century. Let's give him a smartphone and let him see your text thread. And all of a sudden he starts seeing emojis and he's like, what in the world is going on? You put a fire? Where's the fire? Where's the fire? We, we speak very differently. We have a different way of communicating in the same way that they had a very different way of communicating. Nero Caesar's name is 666 in Hebrew. And this is what is really important to know. John wrote this in order to be understood by the original readers. We're reading their mail. John does not mention the number 666 until he describes the beast in detail. And so he's not giving new information about the beast. He's reinforcing what he's already told them. This further illustrates everything else that he's already told them about the beast. A biblical scholar on Revelation, his name's Craig Coster, very helpful, one of the leading Revelation scholars, he says this about this very thing. He says, readers using gematria, that's this ancient method, to solve John's riddle must first look at the portrait of the beast. They are to think of a beast that wears diadems and wields authority over the world, that speaks blasphemy and persecutes the faithful, that is said to have died and returned to life. In Revelation 17, verses nine through 16, the beast is identified with seven hills and kings, and it burns the harlot city with fire. These literary cues prompt readers to think of Nero, who ruled the world from Rome, the city on seven hills. He persecuted the church, was implicated in a fire that destroyed much of the city, and was said to have died and yet be alive. 
Readers must then look for a name whose letters add up to the correct total, and the name Nero Caesar does add up to 666 when written in Hebrew letters. But by the time Revelation was written, Nero was dead, and so John portrays the beast as a Nero figure to show the severity of the threat that the beast poses. John is saying, be aware of the beast, recognize that it's Nero all over again. And for us, it's hard, right? Because we have all this pop culture baggage when it comes to the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. Even if you've never read the Left Behind series, you've somehow been formed by it, right? That's where, this, that's where a dominant cultural view comes from. And it is important that you know that you should not be looking for an individual who is the prophesied Antichrist. Instead, be ready to identify and disassociate from political, social, and economic powers that demand your allegiance, okay? You shouldn't be looking for an antichrist who's prophesied. You should be ready and willing to identify and disassociate from political, social, and economic powers that demand your allegiance. You shouldn't be looking for one beast from John's time or from our time or in the future. The beasts are not limited to one time and place. The beasts are not a secret code either, but these visions give God's people a way to be aware of the presence of evil so we can resist it and endure. So what are these beastly images trying to do? It's the question we have to ask. Well, for Simon, he's living in Laodicea. He's part of the church there. He's an entrepreneur. He's starting a textile business, but he can't seem to get his business going. And it's impossible for him to gain new clients in his business. And he's unable to feed his family without going to the temple to make sacrifices to Caesar. And so Simon starts considering taking the mark of the beast in order to survive economically, in order to grow his business. And so this letter gets written to the church in Laodicea and Simon hears it. What is this letter trying to do? It's trying to say, Simon, even if you lose your business in Laodicea, don't compromise with the beast, but endure in your faith to Jesus. It is worth it. And then we read verse 10. And we ask this question, what is Revelation trying to do for us? Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. It's the call throughout the entire book of Revelation. What is Revelation trying to do? What are these beastly images that are disturbing and confusing trying to do? They're trying to make you be aware so you can endure in faithfulness to Jesus. And as we read Revelation 13, there's a few things that it's trying to make you aware of. The first is be aware of who you worship. Be aware of who you worship because every single one of you in this room is a worshiper. You were created to worship. But here's what we see in Revelation. Satan wants worship. The beast wants worship. And we oftentimes think of worship as, oh, I'm listening to Hillsong on Spotify in my car on the way to work. I'm coming into church. I'm singing some worship songs. I'm doing my thing. I'm worshiping. Hear me. Singing is a part of worship. It is not completely worship, okay? Revelation, the vision of worship is way bigger than just singing. Worship in Revelation is complete loyalty and allegiance. 
That's what worship is. And singing is a part of it, but who do you worship? See, this is trying to make you look yourself in the mirror and ask, where do my loyalties lie? Are you loyal to Jesus or are you loyal to something else? And here's something you don't hear all the time, but every single person belongs to someone according to Revelation. You either belong to the lamb or you belong to the beast. You belong to God or you belong to Satan. And so it, it begs the question, who do you worship? Because this is trying to get you to side with Jesus, pledge your allegiance to Jesus wholeheartedly and follow him. And it's important to be aware because you need to be aware of your temptation to believe in the myth of neutrality. But you cannot be neutral. Which means every thought you have, every action you do, is either for the lamb or for the beast. The other thing Revelation 13 wants you to be aware of is be aware of beastly power. There are two kinds of power, and in Revelation, they are contrasting forms of power. There is beast power, and there is lamb power. Beast power is characterized by arrogance, lies, and domination. Beast power embodies these things, but lamb power is different. Lamb power embodies humility, truth, and self-sacrificial love. But here's the thing you all will be tempted to use and embody beast power. And here's why, it's the way of the world. And it actually works. It's the, reason, it's the reason why the beast power of the Roman empire made them seem unbeatable, that it works. But here's the thing, beastly kingdoms have come and gone and they will not last because beast power is destructive and it is incompatible with the God of all creation. But here's the thing, lamb power is the power of God's kingdom and it is the thing that still stands, it sustains, and it is everlasting. And so if you worship Jesus, you're called to embody lamb power. And for the church, this is a powerfully prophetic way to live because it's sacrificial, it's countercultural. When you embody lamb power, you're living consistent with the very gospel and the power of Jesus, who is the lamb who is slain you need to be aware of your temptation to operate in beast power. Another thing that Revelation 13 wants to make you aware of is be aware of the cost of faithfulness. Be aware of the cost of faithfulness. You've heard us say this week in and week out through Revelation over and over again, but you need to be reminded because it is very easy to compromise your faith in Jesus when you live in the midst of the empire this text forces us to ask this question. What if faithfulness to Jesus actually costs you the ability to function in society? What if it costs you the promotion at work and you lost income? What if you lost followers and your reputation's ruined? What if you had to downsize your house? What if your boyfriend breaks up with you? What if your kids start getting picked on at school? What if it divides your family? What if you get canceled and you become socially ostracized? Do you believe that Jesus is worth it? It's important 
to be aware of the ways that you're prone to compromise because every one of us is prone to compromise. We're prone to wander from Jesus and so you need to know, am I prone to compromise politically, sexually, financially, relationally, doctrinally, whatever it is, you've gotta be aware of your temptation to compromise. And the last thing that Revelation 13, the most important thing that Revelation 13 wants to draw your attention to and say, be aware of. Be aware of Jesus, his power, and his grace, church. Jesus is the victorious king who is alive, who is seated on the throne, who has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. And if you are a follower of Jesus, what we are told here in this chapter in verse eight is that your name has been written in the book of life. And it is not written in pencil. It is not written in pen. It has been written with the blood of the lamb and it is an act of God's sheer grace upon you. This means you cannot earn or achieve your name in the book of life by spiritual endurance. The call to endure in Revelation is not to earn your salvation. You get to endure because God has already claimed you. He has claimed you. Jesus has redeemed you and he does not want you to participate in the destructive evil in our world. He died to ransom you out of it. You have been saved by Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, who gives you the very power and ability to endure in faithfulness to Jesus, no matter how powerful the beast may seem, the beast is not more powerful than Jesus, our King, amen? Church, you do not need to be aware of the beast, but be aware of the beast so you can endure in faithfulness come what may. Let's pray. Jesus, you are alive. You're on the throne. Lord, we rest in your work that you've accomplished for us. You call us to endure, Lord, because you know how destructive evil is. And Lord, Revelation 13 makes us us aware of the beastly power. Lord, you call us to identify it, to disassociate from it because it's evil. And Lord, there's beasts in our world today and and we need wisdom to know how to resist. And so Lord, I pray that that you would be uh, speaking and moving in our midst. Lord, that you would draw us to yourself, that we would repent, that we'd, feel conf- that we'd feel confronted with the ways that we've compromised and feel conviction from your spirit. Lord, for those who have just been wildly confused by this, Lord, this would be clarifying and helpful to know uh, that there's not some secret code that we have to figure out and try to crack, but yet, Lord, you've made it clear and you, you spoke to the early church and Lord, you speak to us today. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your power, in your name. Amen. Now we respond to what we've just heard in Revelation. We do this in four different ways. We're going to sing and we're going to worship Jesus, our King. We also respond by giving. There's giving boxes by the doors on your way out. You can also give online, but we give in response to God's generosity to us. We also respond by prayer. We're gonna have men and women on both sides of the stage up here who would love to pray with you and pray for you. If you have anything going on in your life, if you want prayer for healing, 
If there's something in this, in this passage that moved you, if you feel convicted, if you just want to pray for your family member, friend, anything going on in life, come forward. You don't have to be embarrassed, you don't feel weird. We as the people of God are a house of prayer. Come and receive prayer. We also respond by taking communion. We do this every week because the gospel is central to everything that we do in life. And the elements represent Christ's body that was freely given for us, and the wine or the juice represent Christ's blood that was shed for us. And we do this to celebrate the good news of Jesus. And so I wanna invite you when you're ready to come forward.